Good morning, Meadowview. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that we uh, remember and recognize Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem uh, that would set off a series of events that week that would culminate in his crucifixion, which we recognize on Good Friday, and his resurrection, which we recognize and celebrate on Easter Sunday, which will be next weekend. And I am certainly missing today uh, the smells of food that would normally uh, be filling my, my nostrils and the excitement of having a dinner downstairs, and I know many of you are as well. Uh, but we will celebrate, we will endure through this trial that God has us in, and uh, we will come back together and we will rejoice. But I wanna mention a couple of other things uh, first of all, tonight at 5 o'clock is our Ask service. Um, for this service, we're doing a Facebook Live event. Uh, so if you don't have Facebook, try to find somebody who, who does that you could watch through their particular account. Uh, we're going to have some songs of worship that you'll be able to sing along with, some scripture, and then at the conclusion, we will have you uh, pray alone in your home or with your family, however that works best for you. And uh, following the Ask event, I am, I'm encouraging you, if physically possible, to join in a corporate day of fasting on Monday. Uh, that is Monday, April the 6th, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a, it's a great way for us to consider the necessity of Christ, the hope that we have in Him as we begin into Passion Week and recognizing, again, His death his resurrection. Uh, two, uh, we need to focus a great deal of attention on prayer. Prayer for our church, prayer for our communities, uh, prayer for our country, and for the entire world. Um, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know uh, what all of the ramifications of this will be, uh, but many are already suffering a great deal, and uh, we just want to be mindful of that and praying for that. And so, uh, if possible, if you want to join me and some others in our church Monday, uh, we will do a fast for that particular day. And uh, we're going to have a link up in, in an email uh, that will, will help you to prepare better for that. And you can watch that. It'll just give you some information if you've got questions about what fasting really is. Well, today I am going to ask you to travel back with me three weeks, uh, three weeks ago, uh, before all of this, this crazy really began in our particular uh, neck of the woods here. Uh, three weeks ago, we were finishing up Galatians chapter 1, where Paul was defending himself and the gospel against false teachers that were corrupting the churches in Galatia. They were adding to the gospel. And by adding things to the gospel, they're also taking things out of the gospel, particularly what we understand is grace. And they were also accusing Paul of being overly influenced by the apostles, that he is a people pleaser, that his message simply comes from them. And so Paul argues that his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ that he preached to them, it did not originate with man. It did not come to him from Peter or John or any of the other apostles, but rather it was given to him by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. This was his Damascus Road experience. We talked about it, read about it from Acts chapter 9. Well, this morning I'm going to take a few moments to walk us through the next several verses where Paul's argument continues. And so if you have your Bibles there handy or you got your phone where you can click to it, uh, follow along as I read Galatians chapter number 2 and verses 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 
10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. He has a lot of parenthetical statements in here, so it may be a little bit difficult to follow. Uh, But he says, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that, we, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with a gospel to the uncircumcised, to the non-Jewish people, just as Peter had been entrusted with a gospel to the circumcised, the Jewish community, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And so when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that, had, that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that we were eager to do. Father, we come before you this morning asking for your grace, as your word is preached, as your word is delivered, uh, but as it is received. Um, This is an awkward time for our church. It's an awkward time for the followers of Jesus, but God, you promise that your word will accomplish what it intends to accomplish, and I pray that that will be the case today as your church engages your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 1 and 2, Paul recounts how he did not return to Jerusalem for 14 years. In the last section, we learned that following his Damascus Road conversion uh, to Jesus, that that he did not travel uh, to Jerusalem for three years. Three years. Well, here he says that his next trip wasn't until 14 years after his conversion. And so 11 years now after his first trip, Paul has not been to Jerusalem for over a decade. Uh, For those of you who like to keep a a timeline of events, this is probably somewhere around 44 to 46 A.D. For this trip, Paul mentions a couple of his companions that are with him. Barnabas is one and Titus is the other. Both are faithful friends of Paul. And I would, I would challenge you and encourage you this week, and I'll probably put this in some sort of communication, to, to study the life of Barnabas. Barnabas was a, a man who was known as an encourager to the Apostle Paul, but certainly others in the body of Christ. We need more Barnabases. 
But Acts chapter 11, Luke gives a parallel perspective on this trip. And he explains that Barnabas and Paul are going to Jerusalem uh, for this purpose. They're delivering money that was collected for the suffering in Jerusalem during this particular season. It was a time of famine. And you may remember instances of that being discussed in Paul's letters to the churches. He's collecting money that they're going to take to Jerusalem. There it will be dispersed to encourage those who are suffering during this time. That's why they're traveling. But from Galatians, we learned that Paul had another purpose in traveling to Jerusalem. He wanted to discuss with the church leaders the gospel message that had been preached for the past, that he had been preaching for the past 14 years. In the text, he refers to the church leaders, these apostles, as pillars. And by that, what he means is they are the stability. Uh, They are important to the church. They are the pillars. It's important to point out here that that Paul was in no way doubting the validity of his gospel. He, He knew that he had received his gospel from direct revelation from Jesus Christ. But he also wanted to confirm with the apostles that they were in agreement with what he was preaching. Because in the end, if they failed to to validate, and I use that term loosely, but if they failed to validate him, then his ministry might come unraveled. There would appear to be a division in the church, and it would be a very wide division. But Paul had another test for the pillars, and it involved his friend Titus, who he had brought along. Titus was not an ethnic Jew, meaning that he was not circumcised when he was eight days old, as was the Jewish custom per the Old Testament Law. And so it seemed that Paul wanted to see if the pillars would require Titus to be circumcised before they would accept him into their fellowship. They did not require him to be circumcised. However, even though Paul's meeting with the pillars was intended to be private, some false brothers, those are Paul's words, slipped in attempting to convince the others that circumcision is a requirement for salvation. I mean, do you see what's happening here? Even in Jerusalem, even in Jerusalem, even in the presence of the apostles, the pillars, these false brothers are working to distort the gospel message. These false brothers are adding to the gospel. These false brothers are saying that it is, it is faith in Jesus plus works, in particular, plus circumcision. Well, I really like how Paul puts it in verse 4, and he puts it this way. They're doing this that they may bring us into slavery. We're free in Christ. We're free to move forward in Christ, but they're trying to put bonds on us, Paul says. But Paul and Barnabas stood their ground along with the pillars, and they did not yield for a moment. They did not budge, and it wasn't born out of stubbornness or some personal pride. Rather, they didn't budge so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be preserved for the future generations for us. And met of you, we must not yield when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, like Paul and Barnabas and the pillars and so many others who have gone before us, we must fight for the truth of Jesus' atoning and substitutionary death. We must fight for the truth of the reality of His bodily resurrection. We must reject anything that dismisses or diminishes the grace and mercy of our God that we find in the gospel. And what this means is that we have to know this message well. We have to know this message deeply. 
And we will get to know this message more and more intimately as we move through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We have to know it, and we have to cherish it, and we have to love it. And that's my prayer. That's one of the reasons I wanted us in this particular letter this year uh, so that we could recognize the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the final section, Paul argues that the pillars added nothing to the gospel he had been preaching. In other words, they approved and they agreed with Paul's message of Jesus crucified and resurrected. It's important to remember that, that Paul and these pillars came from the opposite directions to get to Jesus. I just think this is fascinating that they're meeting here because the, the pillars had followed Jesus for several years. Paul had been in opposition to Jesus. Paul had persecuted, and now here they are in the same room talking about the same Savior that they love. But I would be remiss if I didn't comment on Paul's language in setting this up, because in verse 6 he writes, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now we can read that in a couple of ways, and one way to read it is to say, man, Paul, you're being kind of a jerk. You're acting like the apostles don't matter at all. Oh, they seem influential, but, but that's not his point. Remember, he's being accused of being a people pleaser. And he is intentionally writing to say, listen, in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a pillar or you're a new convert, in Jesus, we're the same. I don't believe that Paul approached the apostles with any disrespect. I think he approached them with great respect and recognized the role they had played in the foundation of the church. He even alludes to this in some of his epistles. But he had spent enough of his life playing the, the political game of people pleasing and being a Pharisee, and he was done with that part. But then he drives his point home in verses 7, 8, and 9. The pillars confirm Paul's calling to take the Gospels to the Gentiles in the exact same way that they had confirmed Peter's calling to take the Gospel to the Jews. And so they gave to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. With one final word of encouragement. Only they asked, this is verse 10, they asked us to remember the poor. And Paul says the very thing that we were eager to do. Now, now some may balk at this particular saying, wait, I thought there were no works that were required for salvation. Pastor, you said that Jesus does all the work. We just have to humbly accept that truth. And so, why are they bringing works up, and works particularly in relation to caring for the poor? First of all, this is not an attachment or an amendment that's added to the gospel. This is an application or a result of the gospel. So, because we believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, share Jesus with other people, care for the poor is to be a given. It's the natural outcome of our following Jesus, because Jesus cared for the poor. A, a, a simple reading of the Gospels will reveal that to you. Yahweh cares for the poor and the oppressed, and He wants us to care for the poor and the oppressed. Listen to a few verses here. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Psalm 12, verse 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in safety for which he longs. I will help the poor. 
Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good and seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Learn to do these things. 1 John 3.17, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And then we also can find other dozens of other passages that speak to these truths throughout the scriptures. And the timing of this word couldn't be better because this current COVID-19 pandemic is plunging many of our neighbors into poverty. Many of our neighbors have had their hours cut at work or they've lost their job completely. Some within our Meadowview family have been furloughed or laid off until this pandemic passes. I think of a couple of single moms in our own community that I've had interaction with over the last few years that, that have lost their income for the last three weeks. How do you recover from that? Who, who will help them recover from that? This crisis will affect many people, but it provides the followers of Jesus with a great opportunity. We have the opportunity, Meadowview, to show the value that Jesus' body, his church, has in any given community. And that's a value that has been increasingly questioned over the past several years. Does the church add value to society? Well, now we can prove that it does if we follow the steps of our Savior. But the question, the question is this, are we eager like Paul to do this? Are we eager like Paul to help the poor? Are we eager to share our supplies with other people, even our toilet paper if it comes to that? I was so encouraged that upon sending out uh, some of the things that we've sent out, I, I had some responses from a couple of our ladies and, and just said, hey, I've got all sorts of stuff that I'd collected uh, in couponing and where do, I, where do I take it? I want to give it to people who need it. That's what we're talking about. Are we eager to pull from our savings to help our struggling neighbors pay their utility bills, keep their lights on? Are we eager to chip in a few dollars to help somebody pay for their, their medical prescription that they just don't have the funds to pay for? We've done what we can as a church to communicate to our senior citizens that we want to help them in any way possible. And I'm so thankful for many of you who have responded and said, we want to be a part of this. We're also preparing now for, for what we're, we know is a wave that's going to come of people who are going to need help with utilities and rent. This will start in the next couple weeks and will continue, no doubt, all the way through the summer. But Meadowview, I, I want to ask you personally to do this. Would you please keep your eyes open, your ears open for families in our community that need help? I certainly don't mind helping strangers and those who would call in, and we already do that with regularity, but you may have friends, you may have family, next-door neighbors, coworkers that need help, and we would love to wrap our collective arms around them, help them, pray for them, love them, and so if you know of a family that's struggling through this season, please let, let myself know, let one of our deacons know, so that we can... Uh, learn more about them, contact them, find out what needs are present in their life. But here's the truth I want you to take to the bank, I want you to take home this morning. The more we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the more we know Him. The deeper our knowledge of the incarnation, Him coming to dwell with us, of Jesus' life and ministry, the deeper the knowledge that we gain of his, his substitutionary death in our place, the more we know Him in these particular ways, the more passion, the more passionate we will become about helping the poor and the oppressed. Not just during seasons of pandemics, but in life in general. I know this is a quick text met of you. It's a pretty simple, practical argument that Paul lays out defending the gospel of Jesus and himself, but it's also rich with application. I just want to cover a couple things before we go. Number one, be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas this week. Be an encourager. Be a person who reaches out and, and comes alongside one of your fellow church members, one of your neighbors, and points them to Jesus. Praise with them. Share scripture with them. Who will you be a Barnabas to this week? The second thing I see that, that, that I will mention every week is this. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. We need the true gospel. We need Paul's gospel more than ever it seems during this time. Like we've mentioned over the past two Sundays, it's only the gospel of Jesus that affects true change in our lives. And so as we see fear and misplaced priorities and anger in our lives, the gospel offers us hope to change in those areas, to grow in those areas. As we come to grips with our sin and the guilt that weighs on us, the gospel offers us forgiveness. And as we see our neighbors and hear the fear their fear of death, their fear of starvation and poverty and war. The gospel offers them hope. It offers them an eternal perspective. This is why we must know it. It's why we must know it correctly and deeply and then passionately share it. Share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors, with the world. And finally, we need to help the poor more than ever. One of the things that I would encourage you to do is maybe even begin this week setting aside some money, setting aside some funds that, that you can use specifically to help our neighbors as those needs present themselves. As a church, these are some of the things that we're trying to prepare ourselves for. As a community, these are some of the things that we're trying to prepare ourselves for as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope that it brings. The joy, the peace to times like these. It's, it's, it's amazing to think that, that Paul and Barnabas are responding to a, a pandemic that was happening in Jerusalem. They're there to help the suffering. We're in a time of suffering and we're reading about these particular events. And Paul's main concern was the gospel amidst all of this. He, he, he brought money to help the poor. He was eager to help the poor. But the gospel was the primary driver of that. The motive, the gospel was his passion. Help us to get that right here as a church. Help us to, to be faithful, to keep the gospel in its purity, to not move an inch when people challenge it. We thank you that we can spend this, this time together, even through this 
a vehicle, a video, and YouTube. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on your people, your church, today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I want to give you just a couple of challenges. Who can you share the hope of Jesus with this week? Who do you know that's struggling right now? Who, who needs to hear the message of Jesus? Find a passage of Scripture. Find something that you can share with them that points them to the hope that we have in Christ. The second challenge is this. What commitments will you make to help the poor? Where do you need to repent of your lack of eagerness to help the poor? Where do you need to deepen your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that helping the poor becomes the natural outflow of your heart and your life? These are the things we're called to do. Met of you, I love you. I hope, to, I hope you're able to see us and join us tonight, 5 o'clock, for our Ask Service Facebook Live through the MetaView page. And then I hope that you'll be able to join with us corporately tomorrow as we fast in preparation for this week and also in prayer uh, for our church, community, and the world at large. God bless you.